Listen, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're slowly making our way through 1 Thessalonians. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. When you find 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, please stand for the reading of God's word. And as we're doing that, kids, uh, nursery to kindergarten, uh, you're dismissed at this time. So we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're reading from verse 17 to 20. Verse 17 to 20, God's word reads, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. This is the truth. Amen? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Now before we start to walk through this passage, there is a concept that you and I must, we must understand, we must grasp, and that concept, go ahead and go to the next slide, is Christian fellowship, Christian fellowship. If you and I don't have a solid grasp of what Christian fellowship is, where it comes from, and so on, then we will really struggle to understand to fully understand, appreciate, and apply today's passage. So we need a solid understanding of what Christian fellowship is. So before we walk through this passage, we're going to talk about Christian fellowship. And we're going to start with a definition. The word fellowship in your Bible comes from the Greek word koinonia, and it means to share, go ahead and go to the next slide, to share or partner with, to share or to partner with. For example, my wife and I, kononia, all right? My wife and I, we share a lifelong commitment to one another. We share finances. We share the stewardship of our kids. We share physical intimacy. The list of what we share, a list of what we partner in is many. There's a plethora of what we share in this marital fellowship that we have. In fact, the list of things that Kimberly and I share in is so extensive and so deep that the Bible says that Kimberly and I are not two, but we're one. That we share, that we partner to that degree in life. Now listen, all over the Bible, it teaches us that upon salvation, upon salvation, a person will enter into deep koinonia, they will enter into rich fellowship with 
Jesus Christ. They will enter into a sharing relationship. They will enter into a partnership with Jesus. Upon salvation, when a person believes in Jesus Christ, Jesus' payment on the cross becomes whose? It becomes the believers. They share in that payment on the cross. Upon salvation, the righteousness of Jesus becomes our righteousness. Upon salvation, the Holy Spirit that indwelt and empowered and rested on Jesus during his earthly ministry, the same Holy Spirit that that rose Jesus from the grave, you and I, upon salvation, we share in that Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit indwells and empowers every single believer. Upon salvation, Jesus' Father, God the Father, becomes our Father, and we gain entrance into the family of Jesus. We share family with Jesus. Upon salvation, we share in the resurrection, and we share in the eternal life of Jesus Christ. When a person is saved, they enter into koinonia. They enter into this fellowship, this sharing, this partnership, this this deep relationship with Jesus. And the level of this or the depth of this is so pervasive and significant that Paul says in Galatians 2.20, next slide, I am crucified with Christ. His payment for sin is my payment for sin. His death on the cross, it's like I died. He's taken my place. I am crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In 1 Corinthians 6.17, it says, But whoever is united with the Lord is one, just like Kimberly and I as a married couple are one, The believer, you and I, if we're a believer in Jesus Christ, are one with the Lord. It says in the New Testament that Christ is in us and we are in Christ. And it says the same of the Holy Spirit. There is this amazing union or communion, this fellowship, this deep-seated, sharing, partnership, relationship that we all enter into upon salvation. Now, Because the believer has fellowship with Jesus, who else do they gain fellowship with? They also gain fellowship with God the Father. The believer also gains fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And the believer also gains fellowship with every other believer in Jesus Christ. This is why it says, next slide in 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If you are and I are a believer in Jesus Christ, we share the same faith in Christ, we share the same power and indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we share the same heavenly Father, we share the same spiritual family, we share the same purpose to glorify God, we share the same spiritual food, we're both eating off the same plate, i.e. the Bible. Some of you are just like, Yes, we share the same spiritual food, God's word. And that's how we live. We share the same eternal home called heaven. We share the same membership, members as the, of the body of Christ, if we're a believer. We share in so much, don't we? 
And it's all a result of Christ. We're saved, and as a result of believing in Jesus Christ, we gain fellowship with him, we gain fellowship with the Father, we gain fellowship with the Holy Spirit, we gain fellowship, this deep union, sharing partnership with one another. Now, you could call everything I just described spiritual fellowship. It's sort of up here knowledge. And a question a person may have is, how does that spiritual fellowship play out in real life? What's it supposed to look like? Well, hold your hand in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, describes the first church and what they did and how they acted and how they lived. Starting in verse 42, it says, and they, speaking of the believing Christians after the day of Pentecost, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and wonder, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. As a result of these people being saved, they had fellowship with God and they had fellowship with each other. Spiritually speaking, they were one in Christ. And that didn't say, for lack of a better way to say, in the quote-unquote spiritual, that didn't just stay in the head knowledge arena. No, that spiritual fellowship played itself out in sharing, played itself out in the physical life, in sharing life together. Sharing life together. Being together physically, serving together as the body of Christ in all these various ways. This is why, this is why Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, in that verse, God commands people, not believers, not to neglect gathering together. Because this is so important. Because as believers, we have spiritual fellowship with one another. And God doesn't want it to stay just in this head knowledge sort of spiritual area. He wants it to move into the physical. He wants it to move into reality. And say, hey, you're one spiritually. Let's let's act like that in life. Let's share life together. Like these people, what do they do? Together... These believers devoted themselves to the teaching of God's word. Together, they celebrated the Lord's table. Together, they prayed. Together, they supplied each other's needs. Day by day, they ate together. They praised God together. Together, they were used by God to expand the body of Christ. It's together. It's this spiritual union as a result of believing in Jesus Christ with all of other believers moved into the physical in which they are sharing. It's, you could say the phrase is really common today, life on life, living together for the glory of Jesus Christ. I mean, this is one of the reasons why our focus for the year on prayer 
is called Together We Pray. Why? Because you and I are one in Christ. And God doesn't want us to stay in just some euphoric, mystical arena. He wants that oneness to move to the physical, to life in which we're doing this together, in which we're not only praying by ourselves, but we're one. And we're going to act like it in reality. We're going to pray together. Let me say it another way. Christians are commanded to love one another. They're commanded to admonish one another. They're commanded to serve one another. They're commanded to be patient with one another. They're commanded to forgive one another. Did you know that there are over 50 one another commands just in the New Testament? And guess who they're for? They're all, the context of every single one is the interaction of Christian with Christian. How Christians in this spiritual oneness, this fellowship, are supposed to interact together as the body of Christ. Unified as one, not just in the euphoric mystical arena, but in real life, just like we see in this passage. They are together, together, together. They're one in spirit, and they're one. They're functioning as one, living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, with all that to say about Christian fellowship, broad overview, now let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. The Christian life is not a spectator life. It's not a solo life. It's not a selfish life. It's a life of intense, wonderful fellowship, unity, life on life together. So we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to see three truths about Christian fellowship. Three truths about Christian fellowship. And the first truth is Christian fellowship is valuable. Oh, so valuable. Look at verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, Paul, Savannah, and Timothy, torn away from the Thessalonican church, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Let's get some background here. In Acts chapter 17, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, before this, they go to the city of Thessalonica. And in three weeks, or for three weeks, they preach the gospel. And then it happened. God opened the Thessalonians' eyes to the truth to who God is, to the Son, Jesus Christ. And God enabled multiple Thessalonians to come to faith in Jesus Christ and therefore share in fellowship with the Son, share in fellowship with the Father, and share in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and therefore share in fellowship with all other believers. Absolutely incredible. Then what happened? A mob a mob of unbelievers in Thessalonica began to persecute Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. 
And the persecution got so bad that not only persecuted Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, but also the new Thessalonian believers. And it got so bad that Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy are forced out. They have to leave. They're separated from these believers. Or as the text says, they're torn away. They're torn away from the Thessalonian believers. And what does that do to Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy? I'm going to submit to you that it absolutely devastates them. Why? Because they understand that Christian fellowship is so valuable. They understand this. They have become so precious to these people and they to them that being separated and torn away hurts, hurts, and hurts all the more. Look at the words torn away in your Bible. The literal translation of those two words, torn away, is orphaned. Orphaned. It's a Greek word used specifically to describe a child when they're ripped away from their parents because the parents die. Or the vice versa. It's used to describe an orphaned parent. A parent that's ripped away from their child because their child has died. Why in the world is he using those words or that word? He's using that to convey the seriousness of what has just happened. The ramifications of what has just happened. To communicate to every single one of us, hey, we had Christian fellowship with these people. Not only are we one in terms of spiritual fellowship, but we've been one with these people. We've served amongst these people. We led these people to Christ. We care about these people, and now we're torn away, and it's like a parent being ripped away from their child who has died. It's that precious. It means that much. Look back at chapter 2, verse 7 for a moment. Chapter 2, verse 7. But we, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, were gentle among you, the Thessalonian believers, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. Skip down to verse 11. For you know how like a father with his children we exhorted you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of Christ. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy are saying, we're like a mother. We're like a father to you. That's the type of, relate, that's the type of closeness we have. In Christ, we share that much. And it manifests in a life lived together. And when that life lived together is taken away, wow, does it hurt. Wow, is it painful. Christian fellowship is so valuable. Look back at chapter 2, verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, notice that phrase, short time, this letter at Max is written just a few months after they're ripped apart. Just a few months. Just a few months later, and you see Paul, 
Sylvanus and Timothy, it's like they can't handle it. It's like we're endeavoring to see you. We have a great desire to see you face to face. Paul says in verse 18 that he's tried to see him again and again because he realizes that how valuable and precious this Christian fellowship that doesn't just stay in the spiritual non-physical realm, but enters into the physical and is real life living amongst each other. It's that valuable. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of the first two to three months of COVID. Right? Essentially, we're torn away from each other. We're not supposed to see each other. And what did we learn from that? I think a huge lesson from COVID was how valuable Christian fellowship really is. How valuable Christian fellowship really is. I mean, we got so desperate to meet with one another that we held service in the parking lot. It was like 95 degrees. And we piped the sound through the radio. I think we all at that moment really understood, wow, this has been this gift of God is being ripped away from us. Wow, is it valuable? Wow, we're gonna find all these creative ways to be together. We are one in Christ and we're gonna represent that oneness in the world, live life together. Do you remember when the mask, excuse me, the non-mask wearers were in here and the mask wearers were over there and we piped the service through the fellowship hall. And my question for the, non, for the mask wearers was, you're coming to this building, you're going into the fellowship hall and you're watching a screen. You can do that at home. Why are you here? Well, this is the answer, right? Because they, they know that this oneness in Christ is supposed to be represented in a physical manner, life on life together. It doesn't matter if we're watching a screen or not. We're going to do this together. Okay, I'll confess, I don't think the repercussions of breaking the law will follow me right now. And you're all really scared right now. <laughs> but at the beginning of COVID and for the first few weeks, uh, the Wrights and a couple other families snuck together to do what? To watch the online service that we put on. And it was really weird for me because I'm sitting amongst people watching myself. Weird. But it just didn't matter because we understood that, hey, we're one in Christ. And that's just not a mystical thing. That's meant to manifest itself in the physical. Life on life together. Together, together, together. I mean, this is why throughout time you have Christians in countries where Christianity is against the law and you're not allowed to meet together. And what are they doing? They're striving to meet together because their oneness in Christ is represented in the way they live. It's this vital. And you see this. We just see this so clearly in Paul. Right here, we see this in Sylvanus and Timothy. This is all of them saying we're one in Christ. We're going to live like we're one in Christ. Now, before we move on from this point, we need to ask ourselves a question. And the question on the slide is, today, am I treating today, not back during COVID, but today, 
Today, am I treating Christian fellowship like the valuable gift, it should say, of God, that it really is? Today. I realize we got really gung-ho and ah, Christian fellowship during COVID, but sometimes when a trial ends, that gung-ho-ness that we've learned just sort of dissipates, and we need to ask ourselves this question, where are we at? This is what I'm going to say. I think as a general whole, I think we could say yes. As FBC, as a general whole, we could say yes to that. We so value and want to be and represent our oneness in life-on-life relationship. Let me give you an example. July 2nd, it was Sunday. We held church services. We had a big meal together afterwards. It was awesome. We decorated the float. Was it two days later, July 4th? What is it, about 60, 60 of us gather at the float. We're passing out tracks. We're serving together. Next day, there's a prayer meeting. And various of you gather together for that. Next day, there were several Bible studies gathering for that. Sunday, what do we do? We gather together for service, and we celebrate with a big, massive meal, all that God has done for 48 years through the, through the missionaries, the Harrises. And we're just together on July 2nd, together on July 4th, together on July 5th, together on July 6th, together on July 9th. And guess what some of you did to me? I'll try not to look at you. <laughs> but some of you expressed disappointment in me. Why? Because typically every year, July 4th, I say, hey, church, if you want to come over at night to my house to eat a meal and share together, you're more than welcome. And some of you asked me, and I was like, oh, we decided not to do that this year. And you're just like, are you allowed to make that decision? (laughs) And that taught me two things. One, that Baptists are really gluttonous. We just have to... (laughs) We just have to get together and eat. It's a big deal. But two, it taught me that, wow, I was like, I was with you on Sundays, with you on Tuesdays, with you on Wednesdays, with you on Thursday, and with you on Sunday after that. Like, but it's like, John, like, what were you thinking? So I look at that question and I say, yeah, I think we've got this right. I think, I think as a general whole, we're saying, wow, we really understand that this oneness in Christ is not just supposed to be something out there, but is something that we're one together in real life, day by... I love the phrase, if you remember from Acts chapter 2, it says, not week by week, they're meeting together. It says, day by day. Day by day, sharing in life together. Paul has that. Sylvanus has that. Timothy has that with these believers. It's severed. And wow, do they know how valuable Christian fellowship really is. So that's the first thing we see in this passage. The next thing we see in this passage is, next slide, is that Christian fellowship is under attack. Christian fellowship is under attack. After Silvanus and Timothy and Paul expressed their deep desire to be with the Christians in Thessalonica, Paul gives them, or we find out why they can't, why they can't be in that physical expression of fellowship and it's the it's the end of verse 18 but satan hindered us that's nothing new that's what satan has been doing since the garden right he leads eve he tempts eve to sin she sins that leads to adam's sin and that ultimately leads to what that leads to mankind due to sin 
being separated from God, their fellowship hindered. And that not only leads to man and God's fellowship being hindered, but that leads to man versus man's fellowship being hindered, right? This is Satan's MO from the beginning. This word for hindered here is actually a military term that was used to describe armies breaking up the road and then putting roadblocks on it. And isn't that exactly what Satan does? He he breaks up the road and he puts these roadblocks on it concerning our fellowship with God and our fellowship with one another. How does he do that? In general, he's leading us into sin. He's deceiving us. He's constantly telling us that this Christian fellowship that you have in Christ is not really that great. It's all deception, deception, deception. I personally believe that Satan was having an absolute heyday during COVID, hindering our fellowship. I personally believe Satan was having a heyday last year when the church split. That's hindering fellowship. Church attendance in general in America today, every stat, everything says it's all dropping. Why? One of the reasons is because Satan's at work. Because he is the deceiver. He is the father of lies. And he's telling lies. And he's winning over. Christian fellowship is a gift of God that Satan hates. And he constantly, from the Garden of Eden to today, like we see in this passage, he works against it. But I think there's one encouraging note we need to remember here as we look at this and before we move on to our next point. I think the encouraging note is this. God is using even the attacks of Satan. God is using even all the hindering attacks of Satan to produce what? To produce good for all of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Right? COVID, we could say, active Satan, like he's hindering our fellowship. We see that. And then we say, wait a second, was that, did that thwart God? No. What it did was, Communicate, God used that to communicate to every genuine believer just how serious and wonderful and valuable Christian fellowship is. Church split, massive hindrance. Satan loving it. But in the end, you know what's going to happen? Good. Because we have a great and awesome, powerful creator. Uh, walking in the parade July 4th, talking with a person about the church split, and the gist of what the person said to me was this. Yeah, the church split, horrible. But you know what, John? I've never felt more connected to the body of Christ than now. God utilizing Satan's worst to provide the best for his children. That's what, I mean, that's the cross, isn't it? The cross is Satan's worst, but it's ultimately the best. It is, it is the source and solution 
through the corruption and sin of this world. It is salvation. This is the way God works. So fellowship is valuable. Fellowship is under attack, always under attack. But our God is big, amen? Amen. And nothing can thwart him. He utilizes everything. Let's move to the last point of today that we see in this passage. Christian fellowship brings eternal joy. Look at verse 19. What is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it, you'd expect him to say Christ, right? But he doesn't. Christ, I would say, is the ultimate joy. Christ is the ultimate glory. But there's something else when Jesus comes back that's going to give us joy. And that's each other. Look at what it says. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. The apostle Paul said in Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why? Because he's going to see Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, to be absent from the body and present with the Lord is far better Jesus coming back, I'm really looking forward to Jesus. Are you looking forward to seeing Jesus come back? Whether we're coming with him or he's coming and we're still on the ground, it's going to be awesome. I'm so looking forward to seeing Jesus. But you know what God has blessed me with? He's blessed me with another hope. That at that moment, I'm not only going to see Jesus, I'm going to see you and you. And you, all who believe. Isn't that going to be incredible? That's what he's talking about here. How amazing is the grace of our Lord and Savior? It is so deep and awesome. We're going to realize our fellowship with Jesus, the Father and the Son, to the fullest degree. We're going to be with him. And at the same time, we're going to realize our fellowship with each other to the fullest degree. And you may be thinking to yourself, no, that's not going to be good. It's going to be great. It's going to be incredible. Yes, today we hurt each other and fellowship is hard. Yes, today we sin against one another. We sin against our own body and we sin against Christ. But wow, our God is the God of amazing forgiveness and restoration. And all things, including our relationship with one another, is going to be made new and absolutely perfect. That is incredible, incredible. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, they have this fellowship with these people, and they say, I'm looking forward to Christ, and I'm looking forward to you too. I'm looking forward to saying, hey, these are the people that I led to Christ, that God worked through me. Can you believe he worked through me to lead these people to Christ? Like all the boasting is, Christ, look what Christ did through me. That's what he's talking about when he says boasting before our Lord. It's absolutely awesome. One application as we begin to close in light of this point, and the application is put the work in. What in the world do I mean by that? Let me say it this way. Kimberly and I are married. We have koinonia. Biblically speaking, and in reality, we are one. And sometimes I take that for granted. Kimberly might say a lot of times he takes that for granted. And I don't put the work in concerning this great, amazing gift of being married to her. And what is the result? The result is not only immediate lack of joy, 
but it's long-term lack of joy concerning this union together. And the same is true concerning Christians. Christianity and this fellowship that we speak of, we have it in Christ, yeah? But we can't take it for granted and just say, well, it'll eventually work itself out. No, we're called to strive as believers. You go back to chapter 2, and they're striving, they're working hard. So Christian fellowship isn't just something willy-nilly that happens. It's something that God produces in us and through us, and that means work. So I would ask yourself, are you, am I, Putting the work in, saying, we have this oneness in Christ. Am I striving, even when my feelings or my schedule may not agree, I'm striving to say, I'm going to represent this oneness. I'm going to live life, even when they hurt me, I'm going to live life with these people and represent this oneness in Christ. We need to do this. By God's grace and through his power, we need to put the work in. Let's pray. Dear God, you are a great and mighty and awesome Savior, and it's amazing that you even consider fellowship with us. It's absolutely amazing, and I thank you, God, for the gift of fellowship with your Son, 